Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. And I want to ask you, have you ever heard of that phrase that, that says, let go and let God? I don't know if you ever have heard of that before. It's one of those very famous Bible verse that doesn't really exist in the Bible, but yet we all look at it as if it was really a Bible verse. And, it's, uh, it's, it's, and we think it is because this is a statement that says, you know, God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, you know, he's going to take care of everything. So you have nothing to worry about. So just let go and let God because God is going to do it. Right. And there is a little bit of truth to that statement. Right. It's not necessarily completely false, though it's not a real Bible verse. Right. Uh, but the people that tend to use this Bible verse are the same type of people that would tell you that if you work hard enough. Right. And if you have enough faith, you can make whatever you want happen. Right. So it's almost like. It's God sovereign. Let go and let God. Or do you work hard enough and have enough faith and God's going to do something? So this idea brings up the question, do we just let go and let God, or do we have to do more in order that God can work? What do we have to do? I've seen, I've seen a lot of preachers talk about how God is limited to what he can do because of us, because of how much faith we have. God wants to do more in your life, but he hasn't because you don't let him. God wants to help you and heal you, but because you lack faith, he won't. And at the same time, I've heard a lot of preachers push the idea of work, and you work, and continue to work, and the more you work, the more work, work, please work. It's like if we were trying to win some kind of salvation award or, th- or something, the more you work, the more you're saved. So we clearly see there's, a, there's an issue with the balance. There's a lack of balance. The same, the same goes as we struggle to balance God's role and our role in salvation. Some say, just sit and don't worry. God is going to take care of your salvation. Don't worry. There's nothing that you need to do at all, period. There's nothing. And some will say it is up to you. It's up to you whether you're saved or not. As a matter of fact, it's up to you for others to be saved. If, if you don't preach the gospel, others are not going to be saved. And therefore, that's going to fall on you. It's going to be your, your fault. I remember growing up, going to a, a church down in Kendo. I don't remember the church. It was such a long time ago, right? We, we, saw, some, we saw a skid that was very... It was very uh, you know, I didn't know any better, right? It was very impacting, right? And, and the skit was, hey, you know, this is what happens when you don't preach the gospel to your friend. Your friend goes to hell, and all of a sudden he's haunting you because it's your fault. You didn't preach the gospel to me because, look, now I'm in hell, and all you had to do was preach the gospel to me, and I wouldn't have been here. So that pressure falls on you. And as well, you're living this life of, man, these people, my friends went to hell because I didn't preach the gospel. So what is it? Do we just let go and let God? 
know, take a step back or, or, or do we have to do any work at all? And this is something that Paul is actually going to tackle here in this part of the letter. He's going to tackle what our role is when it comes to salvation. So join me there in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to start in verse 12. And I titled this sermon, Joy in Our Sanctification. And verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, it's important to identify who Paul is talking to here. He's, he's saying he's talking to those who he calls my beloved. So we know that Paul's letter in the Philippians is directed at a church uh, of believers, right? A church in Philippi. It's a church that he started, that he helped start. But we know that not everyone who's in the church is really of the church. We know that there are in people in the church that are not of the church, that don't come out of the church, but they never belong to the church to begin with. So my beloved are those who obey the word and have been obeying the word since the beginning. Whether Paul's there or not, my beloved is those people who are listening to God's word and they've been obeying God's word since the beginning, since the time that they've been converted. As a matter of fact, he is directing these words to those who have grown in obedience even more when he's not there. I mean, these are people, he's referring to the people in the church who even though they don't require Paul to be there, right? Because we have a lot of faith when, when the pastor's there or, or when the Christian is there. But when they're not there, right, it's a different story. He, he's talking about those that even though he's not there, they have actually grown in faith. He's talking to the true followers of Christ. The people that he is addressing are those who share the same spirit, the same attitude, the same mind, the same heart. These are the people who are dear to Paul. So then Paul starts and he tells them, as you have always obeyed, so now. So basically he's telling them, hey, listen just like you've always listened. You've always listened from the beginning, from the day you've come to Christ, you've always Listen and obey. Do this right now. I need you to listen just like you always have. So he tells them, okay, listen. Right? He tells them, hey, listen. So what you got to do now is work out your own salvation. I'm not saying work out everybody's salvation. Right? Work out your own salvation. So Paul here is, is laying the basics, foundation of what it is to be a Christian. Now remember, he's talking to those in the church who have already come to Christ, right? These are people who he loved, the my beloved, people who have been converted already. So this doesn't mean work out, you know, work for your salvation, right? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you have to work for your salvation. You have to work in order for you to be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's not asking them to find a way to be saved. He's telling them, because you are saved, now you need to put some work into your justification. I mean, into your sanctification, sorry. 
This means that because they're in Christ, they have to put some effort in their walk with Christ. So Paul is telling them that they now have a responsibility. You are saved. He's telling them that you have been saved. You have been brought to Christ. Now this is your responsibility. And he's talking about things like resisting evil. He's saying there's going to be evil. You need to resist it. He's talking about seeking God. You need to seek God. Right? That's something you do. You need to seek God. God's not going to seek God for you. I'm not going to seek God for you. I might pray for you. But you need to seek after God. He's talking about things like labor and work, you know, serving, right? We, we talked about how we need to be humble, right? He's telling them, hey, this is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of work I'm talking about, serving others. He's talking about things like achieving something. Maybe learn a Bible verse. Maybe read a whole book of the Bible. You know, preach the gospel. Bring some people to Christ. He's talking about things like taking pains and, and, and labor, like persecution, rejection. He said, hey, go through that. Deal with that. Basically, do anything that's part of being the life of a believer. See, for them, there was no sitting back and just waiting for God to just do something. There was no casual Christianity for these guys. Paul wasn't saying, hey, don't do anything. Don't worry about it. He's saying they have a responsibility and they need to put some spiritual sweat. They need to sweat. They need to work. They need to figure things out. Put some effort. It's like when we go to the gym, right? Well, I don't, but some of us go to the gym. When, when some of those people go to the gym, right, they, they go work out their muscles, right? They don't go to receive muscles. You're born with muscles. Everyone, even, even the skinniest person has muscles inside of their body. Right? No humans uh, that I'm aware of, unless there's a disease or some kind of uh, abnormality or something, every person is created with muscle, right? So you don't go to the gym to go get muscles. You're born with the muscles, but you go to the gym to develop those muscles, right? You put some sweat, you put some work, right? You lift some weights, you do some running, and those muscles, be they start to develop, Right? We're not born with six-pack. We're born with one-pack. And then we, we work those, do those exercises, and those muscles start to get toned, and all of a sudden we have a six-pack, right? Just like that. That is what Paul is talking about. And we must do it with the right attitude. He tells them to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It means that they have to take it very serious. He's not telling them, hey, just, yeah, hey, work out your salvation eh, if you got some time. No, he, he wants you to take it very serious. Salvation and the work that God is doing is nothing to play with. There's real sacrifice and real pain, real struggle. So he's telling them to take this seriously. You have to understand what's involved, right? When you look at the kind of examples that I gave you about what it is to work out your salvation, right? This is difficult. This is not easy. 
And he's telling him, hey, take this serious. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be pain. Take this matter serious. They must do it to the point that they have so much fear that it causes trembling. And this fear is not the type of fear that, you know, hey, this guy is bigger than me. He's, if I say something wrong, right, he's, he'll probably get mad at me and beat me up, right? Not that kind of fear. It's that kind of fear that, you, that a kid would have for his parents. You know, it's a fear of respect. It's a respectful fear. It's, it's a fear that you want to make sure you don't disappoint your parents or your dad or your mom, right? It's that kind of fear. And this fear should be traumatic. This should be a trauma in our life. Not a bad trauma, a good trauma. This fear is what will mark a person's life to a point that causes permanent, long-lasting effects. This is a fear that's going to change who you are and you're going to see it. Verse 13 then says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul here gave him the reason why Christians must work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Because God is working in them. We take this serious because God is the one that's doing the work. If you're saying, well, you know, it's my friend. Eh, okay. But it's God who's the one that's doing the work in you. So therefore, you take this serious. So the idea is that since God has done and he's doing work in the life of a believer, the Christian therefore has the greatest responsibility to work diligently with fear and trembling regarding his own salvation and walk with the Lord. And this is what Paul is telling them. Hey, God is doing something in you. So now you need to seriously take it seriously and work out your salvation. So Paul's trying to get this church to understand that what drives their work is God. And anything that God is involved in, it's, and anything that he starts, we can't just push off to the side, right? We can't just not pay attention to it. Whatever God is doing, whatever he's going to start, we need to focus on that. And just like before, there's a wrong way of approaching this command. Right, we saw that last week there was a wrong way of to approaching the command that he was giving us, right? And it seems like the church of Philippi was struggling with this command because Paul goes on to tell them in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So Paul tells them, do all things, all things, this means everything, yeah, we know that Paul has been talking about working out your salvation, right? The, the work that precedes your salvation. This is what he's talking about, right? What comes after being saved. But understand that everything we all do in life reflects the work that God is doing in us after salvation. Everything that happens in your life, everything that you're doing, everything that you're saying is a reflection of what God already did in you. So everything we do reflects that sanctifying work. Everything that we do. So this is an all-inclusive statement. Paul is telling them that everything they do, no matter what place, no matter what time, no matter what circumstances, 
no matter what it is, everything that you do, do it without grumbling or disputing. So what do those two things mean, right? Because we can, we can kind of just be like, oh, that's not, right? We, we got to make sure we know what he's talking about, right? We can't just leave that there. And I know for a fact how it feels to work out your salvation. And I know most of us do, all of us, I think, know how it is, how difficult it can be, how painful and how unpleasant it can be to work out your salvation sometimes. It can be very difficult. I mean, let me tell you something. If this wasn't a command, I probably wouldn't do it. I wouldn't work out my salvation because this is hard. So I know their struggle. But even then, they were told not to grumble or dispute. So grumbling, he's talking about murdering, uh, muttering, right? This is when you when you do something, right? You're doing something, but underneath your breath, you're like, ah, I can't believe I got to do this. Like, ah, I got to do this today again, right? You're, you're doing it, but, but there's something inside of you. You're talking to yourself, you're saying, I can't believe I got to be here today. It's like, ah, do you want to play jumps today? What is this, right? Not, not, that's not what I'm saying, but it's an example, right? Complaining while still having a smile on your face. I don't know if you've ever done that, right? We're, 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 we, we hate what we're doing. <laughs> but we're going to smile today, right? Because I don't want to be here today, right? Inside, you're, you're about to explode with anger and hatred, but outside, you're having the best day of your life. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. But inside, you're like, can't wait for this to end. So beyond that, he's, he's, he says, He's telling him, don't dispute. And dispute is, is the, that outward expression of what's that inside uh, complaining that you're doing, right? It comes in the form of, of like debating, challenging, right? We, we, we've seen that a lot where, where everything you want to criticize, everything you want to fight about, everything you want to argue about, you want to question everything, everything that happens in your life, every work that God is doing, you want to question, oh, God, what do you... It's like you're always... They're always continuing to question everything God's doing, always wanting to challenge God, debate God, argue with God. So basically, Paul is telling them, work out their salvation with fear and trembling, but without complaining and arguing every step of the way. And this is very important. This is very important. This is why it's so important. Look at verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as light in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I don't know if they realize how important that this what Paul is saying is, I don't really think they realize how important it is for them to work out their salvation. He's saying the way you give proof of what God is doing is the evidence of being blameless, innocent children of God. And this attitude is seen in, in after your salvation in the way you do things. That's what he's telling them. Now, before we continue, I want to look closely because Paul gives three exact reasons in verse 15 and 16 on why this should be their approach. 
And, and when you look at these reasons, you're going to see how much more powerful verse 14 is. And the first reason that we should take this approach is because this is our walk with the Lord. This is, this is what he's called us to do. This is how we show that we're walking with Christ. I mean, can you imagine what people will say about their relationship with Christ if all they were doing is arguing and complaining about every single little thing? Imagine how people will look at their relationship with God and say, oh, I, I've, they were saying going around, I, I, I trust God, I live for Christ. No, you don't. You're always complaining. What is that? Another reason is, is that's their witness to the Lord. I mean, can you imagine the negative effect this will have on, on that perverted generation they were living through? How are you going to witness of how are you going to witness Christ to others when all they were doing was complaining and arguing about everything? And the last reason the Paul gives them. So their spiritual leader may have pleasure to serve the Lord. I mean, remember, Paul finds joy with his church, right? He, he's finding joy. He, he's not saying, you know, this letter is not about how bad this church was doing, right? All the leaders able to say the same thing? You know, are, are all the leaders able to say what Paul was saying? Were they, all the leaders there able to have as much joy as Paul was having? Paul can stand in front of Jesus and be proud of the outcome of the church in Philippi and be proud of all the suffering that he's going through. He knows that he can stand in front of God and know that everything he went through was not for no reason. The church of Philippi, living like this, following these commands, listening and living just has it been taught through the word is the reason why Paul can say what he says in verse 17. If I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad to rejoice with you all. See, Paul is rejoicing in his sacrifice because he knows it's making a difference. He's seeing that people are working out their salvation and they're growing spiritually. So he knows what he's going through is not in vain. He's the, he's the example of exactly what he's asking them. Paul has a lot to complain about. Tons. Of things to complain about. But yet he's rejoicing. He's not grumbling and complaining. He's working out his salvation through the pain, through the struggles. He's fighting. Now here's the thing about these verses that, that we kind of just looked at. Because the same thing that Paul said to them applies to our church and any other church in the world right now. This applies no matter where you are. Because what Paul is saying is a command to all churches in history. The church in Philippi, the church in Asia, the church here in Hollywood. 
This, this applies to every church. And Paul is telling us that you must work out your salvation. Again, the changes in your heart, the changes in your life, all that, that, that new birth, that, that born again, that conversion, that was from God. He did that. You didn't do nothing for that. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we are just to be in that state that our work here is, is all done, right? We can't live in thinking that, oh, okay, God changed me. God changed my heart. I'm born again. He saved me. So that's it. It's all done. We're finished. We're not called to just sit back and do nothing. So many people in the church think that because they're saved, they can just not relax. All right. Enjoy the ride. Jesus will be here soon. And I know your work is not what saves you. The work of Jesus is what saves you. But you have a responsibility to yourself to put some effort into being a Christian. At no point in any part of this or any other letter does Paul ever hint at the idea that we just sit back and, and relax. Actually, it's the complete opposite. Look at 1 Timothy 4. Chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have nothing, having nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myth. Here it is. Rather, train yourself in godliness. So don't get involved in these silly superstitions, silly things that the world's going to try to offer. Work on being a godly person. We must continue to discipline ourselves in the word and in the ministry. I like how Spurgeon puts it. God works, says the text. Therefore, we must work out because God works in. This means that since God is doing the work, there's part of us that needs to reflect so. Our lives needs to reflect the work that God is doing. There must be a reflection of what God is doing that's seen outwards. If God's not doing anything in your life, your life is just going to look exactly like it did before. You're never going to see any growth in your spiritual life. You never see any growth coming to Christ closer and closer, knowing more about God. You're never going to see that. Because God hasn't done anything. But if He's working, we continue to grow day by day. And this is going to mark us as believers. Because we're being obedient to what he's asking of us. We're being obedient when he says, listen, just like you've always listened. Obey just like you have since the beginning. Work out your salvation. You know, sometimes I look at many churches, right, in general. Not ours in specific or anything, in general. And I don't think that we're taking this seriously enough. I mean, it's in the Bible. We talk about it all the time. This is a very commonly preached on verse. But yet, it causes no reaction to many of the believers. We walk into church, we listen to this, and then we walk out and just like we walked in. This didn't create nothing in us. 
We need to be more serious about who we claim to be, more serious about the word that we say we believe. You know, many people are dependent on this thing they call hyper grace. Right? And this is this is when, you know, God gave you grace, mercy. Don't worry about it. Do what you gotta do. You're safe, don't worry. We're depending so much on that. Like if it was something that the Bible was teaching. And then we neglect this verse. And then the moment somebody comes up here and says something, hey, you need to work out your salvation. No, that's legalism. What are you talking about? We need to take this so seriously that our trembling must create a trauma in our own lives. You ever seen a, a burn victim, a trauma burn victim? I mean, no matter what surgery that person can go through, you can always kind of tell. No matter what clothes they wear, you can tell this guy or this girl is a burn victim. That's a big trauma. That's what he's talking about. No matter what's happening around us, no matter how much things are trying to be covered, it's impossible for people out there not to tell that we are of God. That's how much we need to be working out our salvation. That's how much trauma that salvation must put in our lives. We need to be doers of the words, not just hearers of it only. Now, while you're working your salvation, Paul is telling us, stop complaining. And seriously, stop it. We, we got to stop. We got to stop complaining. And this church has become one of those uh, breathing grounds for grumbling, complaining, and arguments about everything. Sermons are too long. This guy preaches too much. He talks too much. Or he doesn't talk enough. There's not enough stories. There's no jokes. It's too cold in here. Or it's too hot. We don't have enough programs in the church. We need more programs. Oh, we're in church all the time. And then we sit with our friends and we family. We talk about how church has become the most boring place in the world. And then we invite them to church and then they don't come. They go, I wonder why. I wonder why they don't go to church when I invite them. Because you're always talking about and complaining about, about the church, about the things that, that are in God, the things that you do. You're always complaining, complaining and arguing and everything is a problem. Of course they're not going to want to come to church. We complain about our trials. We doubt everything. We fight with each other because we voted for who we voted. And then we want to argue about when Jesus is coming back. It's like, come on, just stop it. And look, I'm not saying don't bring up complaints, okay? You guys know me. I'm all for hate. Bring your complaints to me. Tell me what we're lacking, what we're not doing correctly, what we should do better. But be careful. Pay attention how you do it. Okay? Because you can easily fall into that category of you being the ones complaining about everything. Every single little thing, it's something. Be careful. There's no, I'm not saying don't complain, don't bring it up. It's just be careful how you do it. Because there are people who just complain about every single little meaningless thing all the time. I met them. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. You have to get rid of that attitude because it will spread. 
You know, one, one day you're, you know, you're just complaining about one little thing. And then the next day you're complaining about two. And then in a week, everything that comes out of your mouth is a complaint. And then we start to look more like the world. The more we do it, the more we look like them. And I remind you what Paul says in verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Here, in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation. Look, these guys were living in a crooked and twisted generation and in a perverted generation. And so are we. So are we. Okay, we're not doing any better than they are. Okay, we're probably doing worse. And we're led to think that the more we fight and the more we complain, the more we're likely to fix things. You don't like what that pe person did, complain about it. Let's go to Google, right? We have Google now that you can leave hundreds of reviews and complain about something in the hopes that that restaurant gets it right next time. We've also developed a new term, and we call people a Karen. Look at this Karen coming in here complaining about everything. I feel bad for those who are called Karen because... I mean, have you ever thought that we would develop a term for somebody who complains about everything? That means there's people complaining about everything all the time. If we live our life obedient to God and living according to His will, we will be the light of this world. We're going to stand out. In the midst of all this corruption and all this crooked and perversion, we need to stand out. Paul finally is telling us, rejoice in the work. And I want to take you at the last verse for today. I want to take you to verse 18. It says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Look, no matter how hard or frustrating it is, or how hard and frustrating it becomes to work out your salvation, when we fail to rejoice, we fall under those categories of those who are grumbling and complaining. No matter how hard it is, no matter how tough, no matter what the toll that it takes on you, if we're complaining about it, we're the ones that Paul is saying not to be. And that's not who we're called to be. If you look at Philippians 4, verse 4, says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. We must rejoice always. We should always have praise in our mouth. And, and, and the closer we get to Christ, the more our gratitude should be. If you're getting closer to God, if you're growing, we should be complaining less. If you're complaining more, is that you're going backwards, not forward. Rather than getting closer to God, you're getting further away from God. I want to tell you this. If you're convicted by what I'm saying today, that's good. You're saying, man, this didn't go easy today. I mean, because imagine spending all your life struggling, suffering, and at the end it's going to be for nothing. Imagine that. 
I would hate to think that you're not being convicted by this. Look, the life of the believer was never promised to be easy. It will come with struggle and pain and persecution. But we continue to fight. Like R.C. Sproul says, the flesh is not totally annihilated from the flesh is not totally annihilated at conversion. The war goes on. When we're converted, it just doesn't stop there. We continue to fight, and we continue to fight the good fight. And yeah, the process of your sanctification is going to be hard. But we can't rejoice because it is the work that God started. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's tough. Yes, it's difficult. But God started it. This is more than we can say about anything else that this world has to offer. We are going to suffer. We are going to go through struggles and we are going to go to, through pain no matter whether you believe in God or not. Okay, I haven't met one person, no matter how rich they are, that having to be struggling with something at some point in their life. But if we're going to suffer, let's suffer with Christ who has died and resurrected in order that we may live forever. So if you're going to suffer, suffer with Christ who promised you eternal life. Let's suffer with Christ who, who he said one day we will be, everything's going to be over and we'll spend eternity pain free. Let's suffer with someone who gave us a promise worth suffering for. Church, bow your head and pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord. Thank you, for, thank you for your word, Father. Thank you because you've given us a part in, in what we have to do, Lord. We, you, just, you, know, you, took, you took care of the most important part, but you, you've given us this blessing to be able to work out our salvation, Father. So we just ask that you work in us. Give us a desire to continue to fight this fight, no matter how hard it is, that we may do it without arguing and complaining about everything, Father. Father, and if, we, if we ever do question anything that you do, Father, that it be in a good way, Father. It be a good reason for us to question, Father, because we just want to understand. We just don't want to complain. We want to understand what's happening, Lord. Father, if we're complaining about everything, Lord, we just pray that you change us, Father. Change our hearts, Father. Draw us closer to you, Lord. That as we know you more, Father, that we complain less and we live more for you, Father. But those around us can see who it is that we are serving, Lord. Father, continue to use us as the means to bring those to you, Father. Father, thank you for everything you've done in our lives, Lord. In your name we pray. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library of sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church.